Amen. Good morning, everybody. See a lot of guests. Glad to see you. Uh, thankful that you're here. Um, what an exciting uh, thing to see some fresh faces. Thank you for being here, and I hope that uh, your time here has been pleasant so far, and I hope that, um, that our worship uh, this morning has been in spirit and truth so far. Uh, you know, I'm thankful to stand before you, but the reason why I'm so thankful to stand before you is because I'm able to preach out of this thing right here. I'm able to preach out of the Word of God. Ephesians 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What a blessing that we have as Christians. Amen? The Word of God. It's living and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. The Lord has loved us, and He's given us this Word, not only to guide us, not only to protect us, but to save us. I say thank you, Lord, for that. Amen? I say thank you for caring enough about me that you would provide something for me to go by that I could be pleasing to Him. Amen? If you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. That's where we'll be at this morning. Acts chapter 9. And for just a few minutes, I want us to focus our attention uh, on one of the most compassionate most enthusiastic, most contagious Christian that I really read about. You know, a man who called himself a bond servant, a willing servant for Jesus Christ, who said in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But this man wasn't always that way. Now, in fact, he was quite the opposite. So I want to talk about his conversion this morning. The conversion of Saul of Tarsus, or as many of us know, Paul the Apostle. I want to take a look at his conversion on this road to Damascus. And see how a man goes from wanting to persecute and destroy the church, as he says in Galatians 1.13. Listen to what he says. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. A man that went from saying that to saying in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. How does that happen? <laughs> you see the two contrasts? Major contrasts. Somebody who hated the church, who hated Jesus, to somebody who says he's not ashamed to preach about it. What changes him? That's what I want to look at this morning. At the beginning of this chapter, we don't see Paul or Saul, 
being so passionate about Jesus. Let's read the very beginning of chapter 1. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Here was Saul wanting to murder the disciples of the Lord. But really it starts back in the chapter before in Acts chapter uh, 8 where uh, it says Saul who was consenting to the death of Stephen. You remember Stephen uh, preached to the Jewish council about how uh, they had missed the opportunity to be a, a follower of Jesus and they killed him. And what did they do? They end up killing him. And here was Saul, the man we're talking about right here, and he was consenting to the death. And in Acts 8 verse 3, it says, As for Saul, now listen to this, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine that happening to you? Could you imagine a man coming in your house and dragging you out because you were a Christian? That's what he was doing. And he was doing it with passion. And he was doing it with zeal. We see this man who wants to eliminate the followers of Jesus by any means possible. Paul, after he becomes a Christian, he writes about himself in Acts 26, or he talks about himself uh, in Acts 26 verse 4 when he's talking to King Agrippa. He says, My manner of life from youth, which I spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. All the Jews know me. They all know me from the first. If they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And then in Philippians 3.5, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Here was a man who was on a mission... But his mission wasn't the one we know him all for. It wasn't going and preaching the gospel. It was to destroy it. Think about that. His focus was in another direction. Look at verses 1 to 2 in Acts chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Christians before they were called Christians were considered a part of this the way. And Saul couldn't stand the way Paul, as he again is on trial in front of King Agrippa, and this really is a powerful thought in Scripture uh, in Acts 26, 9 and 11. Listen to what he says. This is where his mind was at. He said, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem. 
And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Here was a man who could not stand Christians. And we think about this and we look at this, but guess what? The reality was this was really happening to people, to brethren. He calls them saints. So here was a Pharisee that not only hated Jesus of Nazareth, but he hated his followers and was willing to go out and arrest them. And when they were about to be put to death, he'd cast his vote against them. Yep, kill them. Kill them. Think about that type of guy. He was going to take care of this sect that was going to go against the law of God in his eyes. Oh, he had zeal, and he had zeal for Jehovah. He was a Jew, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Think about it, he was the bounty hunter for these Jewish leaders. And what this uh, way was doing, uh, these people of the way or these followers of the Lord, what they were doing was going against God Almighty. And he couldn't deal with that. He couldn't deal with somebody disrespecting the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, making claims that this Jesus was the Son of God, that He died and was resurrected. Come on, man, really? Think about what he said, what the Bible says in verse 1. He was breathing threats and murder. Saul of Tarsus was not, not at all happy with the early Christians. He wanted them locked up and then killed. But then something happened. Something changed him. You get the type of person we're talking about? You get the type of person that we see in, in Saul? Something changed him. Look at verses 3 and 5. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Saul had fell to the ground because of a light from heaven. He's headed to Damascus to bind up Christians and take them to Jerusalem. This light stops him and says, why are you persecuting me? Think about that. You're walking down the road and this light shines and blinds you and drops you to the ground and then you hear a voice that says, why are you persecuting me? Saul says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord responds, I am Jesus 
whom you are persecuting. Think about what has just happened to him in an instant. In a blink of an eye. All of a sudden, Saul is encountering something extraordinary, right? And he can't deny it. He can't deny it. This voice cries out of this bright light from the sky and tells him he's Jesus. And we'll get to why that's important to him. And then he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Not Aaron and my mother-in-law. Now, what does that mean? A goad or an ox goad is a wooden tool. Uh, it's approximately eight feet long. They said the measurement kind of differed a little bit, but uh, on the end of this wooden tool was a uh, iron spike. And there was a point on the end of that spike which was used to spur the oxen as they pulled the plow or a cart. The more the ox tried to resist the ox, I mean, the, the more the ox tried to resist the, the goad, then it poked in them deeper and it hurt them worse. Jesus asked Saul why he was persecuting him and he reminded him that just as an ox kicks against the pricking of the goad can hurt himself. Saul's continued resistance and persecution toward the gospel would only result in danger to himself. And now I want you to listen to this commentary uh, from J.W. McGarvey. It's a, it's, a, it's a great illustration to get us in the mind of what is actually happening in this story. He says... It is impossible for us who have been familiar with the glory of our risen Savior from our infancy to fully appreciate the feelings which must have flashed like lightning into the soul of Saul upon hearing these words. Up to this moment, he had supposed Jesus as an imposter, cursed of God and man and his followers, blasphemers, worthy of death. But now, this despised being is suddenly revealed to him in a blaze of divine glory. Think about this. Think about what is happening. Saul hated Jesus. He was an imposter. The evidence of his eyes and ears cannot be doubted. There he stands with the light of heaven and the glory of God around him and he says, I am Jesus. If you continue to resist me, you'll be as an ox kicking against the goad and only continue to hurt yourself. That's a game changer. That changed who Paul was or Saul at this time. But what changed him? J-E-S-Q-S. And I know how to spell that. Jesus. 
When we think about our lives, let me pull some application for us, brethren. I had to set all that up because I want us to feel this. When we think about our lives and we think about really what the Lord has done for us, shouldn't it change us? Shouldn't people see a difference in our lives? Shouldn't living for Him be a big deal? A real big deal? If what He's done for us is a big deal, then it should be seen through us, right? What happens to Saul? Let's continue. I'm going to make some more application, but I need to set the story up for us to really get it. Just hang with me, brethren. Just hang with me. What happens to Saul when he sees and hears this? The beginning of verse 6 tells us, So, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? It changed him. Just a few verses prior to this, we see Saul pressing toward Damascus on a mission to kill the cause of Jesus. But now he's trembling at his feet. (laughs) He's scared. Saul understands that this is a divine intervention. Light out of the sky and a voice speaking. I mean, think about that. If that happened to you, wouldn't that be a stunning thing to happen? And then to hear the voice that cries out of it is Jesus. The one you don't want anybody to know about. What happened to him? What did seeing Jesus do to him? There's no doubt that Saul had a respect for Jehovah, the God of his fathers. But what made him so passionate about eliminating the Christians in his mind was the claim that Jesus was the Lord. And now he's fallen to the ground and realizes that Jesus really is the Lord. Could you imagine that in his head? He was convicted. And that's what I want us to hold on to, that word. Convicted. This changes everything for him. He knew that everything that he was trying to do for Judaism was wrong. He knew from this appearing of Jesus that he was doing just as Gamaliel said, and I'd read it a couple weeks ago when the Jewish leaders came to uh, have a meeting about what they need to do with the apostles. And Gamaliel tells them in Acts 5.32, one of uh, the uh, well-known Pharisees, he says, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it'll come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. In an instant, he realized he was fighting against God. His purpose in life was wrong. What he thought was right was not. What he was so passionate about, about being against the Lord was wrong. 
Thinking about this story of Saul brings so much light on what he says later on in Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says, I thank God the only way possible through Jesus Christ our Lord. But here he was. Before that even happens, he's realizing and he is convicted and he was found guilty on the account of going against God's will. What about us? Wow. What an application for us. Well, Matt, I never experienced a light blinding me. See, if I had that experience, it'd change who I was. And I'd always act the way Paul did. See, if I had that light blinding experience, and then I have this guy come and, and take away the scales off my eyes. See, if I could have that type of experience, boy, it would change who I was. And I would always preach Jesus and Him crucified, right? Well, brethren, let me ask you this. Do we believe that the Bible is real? Do we believe that this is the unadulterated Word of God? And this is true? Because if we do believe in the Bible, then guess what? This really happened to somebody. <laughs> and if it really happened to somebody, then whatever Paul preaches after that must be true also. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, here's what he says. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, guess what? All shall live. Amen. Romans 5.10 For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. You don't think it changed who He was? He recognized the error of His way. He recognizes what He needs to do. And it only can happen through Jesus. Boy, that's encouraging to me. Boy, that's a conviction that I need to be uh, thinking about. Do I really appreciate what Jesus has done for me? Do I really appreciate that I was a terrible person and did terrible things? And I'm going to talk about it in just a minute. But guess what? Even when I was a sinner, Christ died for me. To save me. Because He loves me. After He's trembling, after He's astonished, He asks, Lord, what do you want me to do in verse 6? Then the Lord said to him, Arise, and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The Lord tells him, go into the city. 
And the men that are with Saul realize that he's blind. He can't see. So what do they do? They carry him into the city. They lead him by the hand into the city. And for three days, verse 9 says, he's without sight. He neither ate nor drank. But see, the beauty of this story is it really gets you to uh, thinking about what he was doing and what he was trying to deal with in the situation. It was changing who he was mentally. He was so zealous for going and killing these Christians and then he realizes the one that he's trying to persecute has talked to him. Saul is greeted by a man named Ananias who the Lord comes to. In verse 11, he tells this Ananias to go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And listen to what Ananias says. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has come, has, has, as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. Here's a man on his way to Damascus wanting to kill Christians. And he stopped by the Lord. And it convicts him. He understands that what he's done, what he has tried to do to the church was absolutely wrong. And so what does he do? He understands that the only way to make it right is to do what the Lord has told him to do. And what does he do? He obeys the gospel. He becomes a child of God. And look at verse 19. And this is really where I want to get to. All of that uh, is great, and I'm glad that you've hung with me, but here's where I want to get to the point. Verse 19 and 20. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. 
He obeys the gospel, spends some days with the disciples in Damascus, and then immediately he preaches Christ in the synagogues. What? But here's the deal. He was excited. He must have been very excited to understand the truth. He was very excited to become what he knew was right in God's eyes. But it didn't just stop in several months. It didn't just stop in a couple weeks. You know, when that excitement burns out. It didn't just stop in a couple years. Nah, brethren. 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 8. One of the most encouraging scriptures for me. Says this, Paul, at the end of his life. Not a couple weeks from now. Not from a couple weeks from this situation or a couple years from the situation. We're towards the end of his life. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. (laughs) I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Aren't you ready for Jesus Christ to come back? What changed this man? What made him go from one extreme to the other? His conviction of what He was doing and who He was doing it to and understanding who the only one that could save Him from His wrongs was, was Jesus. Brethren, when you obeyed the gospel, when you understood that you were a sinner, that you were not going to make it, and you obeyed the gospel, were you convicted? Did you know that there's no hope in anyone else? Does that matter to you? Is it in you? Are you willing to go show it in the way you live and the way that you're around people? Are you willing to be faithful to what He says? Are you you willing to to help the brethren in any way that you can? Or are you just going to continue to walk out the door and do the same thing? Are you going to walk out the door and just be the same as you always been? I'm going to go to heaven. It's all right. He died for us. Without Him, we have no hope. I want to close with 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 17. And if you do reading during the week, and I know that many of you do, use this as your reading. 12 through 17. What an encouraging scripture. Listen to what Paul says. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because He counted me faithful. Putting me into the ministry. 
although I was a former, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on Him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invincible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Do we realize that Jesus can use us? And count us faithful? Does that even matter to us? We all, like Paul, are sinners and face the penalty for our sin, and that is death. But just as Paul, we all have obtained mercy. We also received His grace, which is so abundant through the obedience of the gospel. Amen? Which saves us. He gave it freely. And He gave it to anybody that wants to be saved. But as we sit here this morning, do we realize as we did when we first became Christians that Jesus came into the world to save sinners and He saved you. Paul said, whom he was chief. What can we learn from the conversion of Saul? Verse 16. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering. You know, the Lord is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Everybody has the chance to be saved. And here's the deal. If you've been saved, does that mean anything to you? When I read this and I thought about this and I thought about who Paul was and I thought about his conversion, boy, I tell you what, it set me straight in my path and my thoughts. Because I don't want a day, I don't want a moment, I don't want a second to go by that I don't do, as verse 17 says, give glory and honor to the King for everything that I do. It's worth it. Paul said it's worth it because I get a crown one day. Aren't you chasing the crown? (laughs) He said the righteous one is going to give me a crown one day. And that's what I want. Paul was shown mercy and grace and given the opportunity to be forgiven and go tell others what he had received. Does everyone here in attendance have that same conviction? To live our lives to God's glory? 
and for His honor every day. Not because it makes us look good. Not because we have to. I love, I I don't even know how I did it, but I really love this part. But because we never want any day to go by that we don't show the Lord, we are thankful for what He has done. To the King eternal, immortal, invincible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Maybe you're here today and you're not a child of God. He loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. And right now you have the opportunity to be saved. Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Mark 16, 16. What do you believe? You believe that He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. And that He came to this earth to die for you. And not only die for you, He was resurrected. He took away sin, but He beat death. And in Him beating death, it's given us an opportunity to have life. Do you believe that? He also said that if you believe that if you repent of your sins, turn from the way you're living now and turn towards Him, you won't perish. He also said, do you believe that if you confess before men that you believe that He's the Son of God and you're not ashamed of who He is, He said you'll be saved. And He also said that if you're baptized, that your sins are forgiven. In this same account in Acts chapter 9, Paul gives another account in Acts 22. And it's a very, very important verse because Ananias, when he's talking to him, he says, why are you waiting, Paul? God has great plans for you. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. If you believe those things, you can be saved. You can come out of this water, not a magical water, an obedient water. You can come out of that water and be His child and have your sins forgiven and be added to His church. What a blessing that would be. If you need to do that today, if you're tired of living the way you've been living and you want to live for Him, if you need to repent, maybe you're uh, uh, a saint and you ain't living the way you're supposed to be living. Maybe you're putting some things back. Maybe you're just going through the motions and you want to get it right today and change who you are. Brethren, we can change the world. But it comes within. Whatever your need is, I love you all so very much. Visitors, I thank you for coming and I'm sorry that I went a little bit over. But I tell you what, Jesus Christ is coming back and He may come back today. If you're not saved, why not today? Whatever you need, come right now. Together we stand and sing.